and welcome back. I'm Uncle Sean, and we are reading Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Kennelly. We're on chapter two, and last we left off, Nicholas was getting ready for the Guardian Trial. So shall we dive back in? This is part two of chapter two, called The Seventh. Ben led the group down the narrow passageway and up a set of wooden steps that led to a thick wooden door. He opened the door, revealing a solid rock wall that had been cut and smoothed with precision. <clears throat> A short wooden lever protruded from the wall next to the door. Ben pulled the lever down and the cut stones began moving, scraping and grinding as the wall pushed out and created a series of steps leading up and out of the ground. <sighs> Nicholas was relieved to see sunlight and blue skies at last. Not far from the exit was a grassy glade surrounded by huge branching cedars. In the glade stood Apollo along with eight deer, all with antlers. Nicholas' heart leapt, and he whistled for his horse. The deer hardly acknowledged the sound, but Apollo's head bobbed up, and he galloped to Nicholas. Nicholas ran and hugged Apollo like a long-lost friend. Apollo whinnied his joy at being reunited with his master. Nicholas' eyes watered. Never was he happier to see someone familiar. The reunion triggered feelings of joy and sadness. Joy at seeing his animal friend alive, and sadness at the loss of others he dearly loved. As he turned, he realized everyone was watching him and held his head high, ready for action. Sh shall I call Blixen? Daniel said, looking to Ben. Play the pipe, Ben said. Daniel put a small, fluted whistle to his lips and blew a melodious call that echoed through the forest. The deer looked up in response, but two deer broke from the herd and trotted over to the men. I told you to call Blixen, not both of them, Ben said. They are an inseparable pair, Daniel said. You, you know this. No matter, Ben said. He will fare no better on either mount. That remains to be seen, Jeremiah said. He turned to Nicholas to explain. You will know if one of them chooses you, for they will rub their face against you, yours in a display of friendship. They will rub my face, Nicholas said, trying to imagine what Jeremiah was talking about. It all seemed so odd. If they choose ye, Ben said. The two deer stopped a short distance from the group. One raised its head as if he were looking as if he were royalty, looking down upon his subjects. Both deer had a complete set of antlers, which puzzled Nicholas. Uh, which one is Nicholas said puzzled. This, Jeremiah began pointing to the deer on the left, is Blixem. Dunder is the one on the right. She and Dunder are holy guardians of the way. Should either of them allow you to ride, it shall be well with you. She has antlers, Nicholas said. Since when do female deer bear antlers? All deer bear antlers, Ben said. Any fool knows this. Are you saying I'm a fool, Nicholas said. I never said that, Ben said with an air of superiority, though I still doubt they will allow you to ride them. And I still say I can ride any creature, be it a horse, camel, or dear, Nicholas retorted. Determined to prove Ben wrong, he confidently marched over to the two deer. Nicholas, wait, Jeremiah said. They must choose you before... Dunyard raised up on his hind legs and brought down both front hooves forcefully. A loud boom echoed through the meadow, producing a powerful shockwave that knocked Nicholas off his feet and toppled everyone, including Apollo. Nicholas could hardly believe his eyes. What manner of deer is this, Nicholas said. 
Each deer of the guardian herd is endowed with gifts to help them guard the way of the tree of life, Jeremiah explained. Uh, Dunder's name means thunder, and he is remarkable, Nicholas said as he rose from the ground, still stunned from the powerful blast. What does Blixem do? Uh, it's difficult to explain, Jeremiah said. Uh, her name means lightning, and I would approach her with great care. Nicholas walked a wide circle around Dunder as he approached Blixem with caution. She hardly looks like lightning. Is, is she swift? All deer are swift and more agile than any creature, Ben said. She at least seems to have a more approachable temperament, Nicholas said, sizing up the challenge. A friend once taught me how to handle such unpredictable animals. First, you take a balanced stance. Nicholas took up a defensive stance facing Blixem, demonstrating the technique as he would to a beginner. Then... Instead of avoiding the danger, you seize it! In a flash, Nicholas grabbed Blixem's antlers with both hands and confidently smiled at the group, especially Ben. The men of Alpharine gasped with alarm. Enos and Amos ran for cover behind a tree. Nicholas looked back at Blixem and instantly knew he had made a mistake. Blixem's antlers sparked and fingers of electricity shot out in a blossom of crackling white energy. Nicholas' hair was standing on end, and he thought he'd try to pull free, but he could not let go of the antlers. Finally, the energy focused into a beam and blasted him across the grove of cedars. Blixem snorted her disdain and trotted back to the rest of the grazing herd with Dunder following her. <sighs> Nicholas sat up in a daze, his singed eyebrows and beard smoking. He gave his head a quick shake, trying to regain his bearings. He'd been thrown by a horse before, but it was nothing like this. At least he landed on a soft patch of earth. But then the ground beneath him began to move. Get off me, you Philistine! Ben said as he struggled to get out from under Nicholas. Seeing the angry little man beneath him, Nicholas could not help but laugh in amusement. <laughs> he laughed as he rolled over and let Ben up. The rest of the little men broke into laughter at the sight. Ho, ho, ho! What manner of laugh is that? Ben asked over the chorus of laughter. It is my laugh, Nicholas said, and I thank you all for helping me to find it again. It has been far too long. Ben glared at him as he dusted himself off. I'm glad you found this amusing, Nicholas of the Magi. Ben looked at the others with contempt. Do you not see your mistake? The deer sensed nothing. He is not one of us. Ben turned back to Nicholas and looked him in the eye. Nor will he ever be. Ben stormed off and backed down the steps into the warren. His words struck Nicholas' heart deeper than any dagger. It was as if he was a child back in the Magi compound again, unwelcome, never good enough for any of them. The bitter pain of that rejection flooded his mind and made him wonder if he would ever find a people or a place where he belonged. Pay him no mind, Jeremiah said. Ben does not speak for all of us. He speaks the truth, Nicholas said. I was a fool to think that I might belong here. Nicholas dusted himself off with a huff. You were chosen by the director itself, Jeremiah said, pleading his cause. We all saw it, even Ben. Well, I saw nothing, Nicholas said. You beheld the director and the glowing lights within with your own eyes. I saw a fanciful illusion crafted by your people. They are your people, too. How so? I do not hail from the north, and I am much taller than any of you. Which is a rare occurrence for me, Nicholas admitted. 
He had never been bigger than anyone his age, and he relished his newfound tallness. And yet your mother was a member of our tribe, Jeremiah said. How do you know this? Nicholas asked. Your locket, Caleb said. The symbol on the locket is only used by members of her family, the royal family. Such an amusing story, Nicholas said. For a moment I actually thought you knew something of my mother. Nicholas, I assure you we do not take this lightly, Jeremiah said. The princess Hadassah went missing many years ago. Your locket may be the key to finding her, and she may be your mother. Did you expect me to believe such a tale, Nicholas said? I suppose the deer can fly as well. Fly, Daniel said. Reindeer never fly, but some can leap. What am I doing here, Nicholas sighed as he shook his head. That is a question that only you can answer, Jeremiah said, and we can help you. Why would you help me, Nicholas said. You hardly know me. Then we must begin by introducing ourselves, Jeremiah said. Enos, Amos, present yourselves. Two of the men wearing burnt orange caps stepped forward with giddy smiles. I am Enos the Tinker, said one. And I am Amos the Tinker, the other said. If something needs restoration or creation, Enos added, we can do it. Call on us any time. I will keep that in mind, Nicholas said, nodding to both men in greeting. Another man in a mustard yellow cap came forward. And I am Caleb the wordsmith and keeper of the record of our journeys, Caleb said. And as he nodded, I also compose very persuasive love letters, should you need one. Good to know, Nicholas said with a nod. Many thanks. Daniel, Jeremiah gently called to the remaining member of the group, a man with a dark forest green cap who stood at a safe distance. It is your turn. Daniel removed his cap and avoided any kind of eye contact as he came forward. His hands nervously clenched the cap as he walked, bracing for whatever came next. Stopping before Nicholas, he swallowed as he looked down at Nicholas' feet. <clears throat> I, I am D -D Daniel, he said, the, the, the healer, and I, I never meant to bring you any harm. I, I'm used to helping animals, and I, I, I are forgiven, Nicholas said, feeling deeply for the little man. Daniel looked up at Nicholas in disbelief. But you were so, so angry. You, you. I was most ungrateful, Nicholas said, and I hope you can overlook my behavior. He knew what it was like to be treated poorly by those who judged your value by the way you spoke, and he was not about to add to that wretched chorus. You are most merciful, Nicholas, Daniel replied with a smile of relief as he extended his right hand. You have my hand for friendship. And you have mine, Nicholas said, as he shook Daniel, Daniel's hand with both of his. And mine, Enos, Enos said, extending his hand. And mine, Enos said, Amos said, extending his hand. And mine, Caleb said, extending his hand. Many thanks, Nicholas said, as he shook each man's hand. And you certainly have mine, Jeremiah said, as he held out his hand. Welcome to the tribe of Alpharim. Even if your deer hate me, Nicholas questioned. The deer can be difficult. However, that has no bearing on how we feel about you. You are of the blood of Alpharim. There is no doubt in my mind. And what if there is doubt in mine? Will you still extend this hand to me? Always, Jeremiah said with a welcome smile. Then I take your hand, Nicholas said, and I thank you for your kindness and hospitality. 
A celebratory cheer went up from the little man, and yet Nicholas felt uneasy. How could they be so sure he was part of their tribe? And what would happen if they changed their mind? His parents hailed from Parthia, though he barely remembered his mother, Diana. She was lost in a sandstorm when he was just a child, and the locket held his only remembrance of her, the lullaby she used to sing to him. And while the memory of her face had faded, the song brought hope and comfort when he needed it most. Still, if these little men believed he was a member of their tribe, he would let them believe it until he could prove otherwise. Besides, he wanted them to teach him how to build the curious playthings he'd seen in the treasury. The workmanship far surpassed anything that Hussam had taught him at the Magi compound, and Nicholas was eager to learn. Perhaps they would even show him how they did their tricks with the mysterious orb, or how they made the deer appear to do such great feats. They had to be skilled band of performers, like the conjurer who frequented the king's palace when Nicholas was a boy. He always looked forward to the conjurer's visits and the show they put on for the king. Nicholas wanted to become a great conjurer himself, so he spied on the man as he prepared for the show. Then he saw the truth behind the illusions. The man was nothing more than an overdressed trickster. Not only that, but when the man saw him watching, he exploded into an angry tirade and had Nicholas thrown into the Euphrates. <laughs> From that day, Nicholas learned to recognize such performers, and the Alpharine were no different. There was a method to their illusions, and he would discover what it was, for he refused to be deceived, no matter how kind and sincere the perpetrators may be. Yet the thing that bothered him most was why they would bring a wounded stranger into their midst. If they had known he was being pursued by Roman soldiers, they might have thought twice about rescuing him. But it was too late now, and he did need a place to stay, at least until he could decide what to do next. Returning home to Parthia was not even a faint possibility. Even if he could find a caravan to travel with, how could he return home without Melchior or his best friend Marcellus? What would he tell Marcellus' father or the other magi? He had put them in harm's way, and no amount of explaining would bring them back, no matter how much he missed them. And without Melchior to intercede, Nicholas' future with the magi was dim at best. Nicholas had no choice but to stay with these little men. For now. The evening meal was warm and jovial enough. Each man sat in a hard-carved wooden chair, surrounded by a large wooden table. The table was heaped with bowls of berries, nuts, olives, boiled eggs, pomegranates, and flatbread, which the little men constantly shoved in Nicholas' face with eager hospitality. They even lashed together some tree branches to form a big chair for Nicholas to sit in. Throughout the meal, the men constantly apologized for what happened with the deer, assuring him that some deer could be difficult to befriend. Though he smiled and tried to be agreeable, thoughts of riding deer held little allure for him. He had a good mountain in Apollo, and had no intention of trading him for a wild, untamed creature from the north. The one thing he did want to talk about was this woman they believed to be his mother. But every time he brought up the subject, Ben diverted the conversation to another topic. Even Jeremiah seemed to be closed-lipped about the subject around Ben. After a few attempts, Nicholas saw the pattern and quit asking. He was not sure why Ben was trying to keep the information from him, but Nicholas would not give up so easily. He would get his answers somehow. After dinner, as the men were bedding down for the night, Nicholas sat in his makeshift chair by the stone hearth of the Great Hall, as they called it. While he had seen far grander halls in the King's Palace in Parthia, it was the one room Nicholas could stand up in without banging into something, and 
that definitely made it great for him. As the fire crackled and the embers glowed, Nicholas stared into the waning flames, aching for familiar faces. He never thought he would miss the Magi or the compound, but the waves of homesickness were hitting him hard. Nicholas pulled out his mother's locket, hoping to find some comfort. He stared at the three circles connected on the back. He wondered what it really meant. Royalty used crowns or swords or great beasts as their crests, not three spiraling circles woven together with a connecting line. That was a doodle created by a bored child, not royalty. Unfortunately, the only person who might tell him the truth about that symbol was dead. Gently, Nicholas turned the winding key and opened the locket. His mind drifted as a haunting melody played, punctuated by the crackling flames of the fire. The music soothed his soul, and his mind drifted off to sleep. That song makes me think of home, Jeremiah said. Nicholas' eyes flickered open. He closed the locket in a hurry and stuffed it back into his robes. Home, Nicholas said, half awake and trying to understand. Yes, Jeremiah said. We could think of nothing else since we found you. I, I fear we have overwhelmed you with our zeal. We never meant to offend, except perhaps in the case of Pin. He is slow to trust. Slow to trust? I'm certain trust is not a word in his vocabulary. Nor should it be. He is a defender, and you are the first to set foot inside the warren. He only seeks to protect us from harm. From harm? If I wanted to harm you, I would have already done so. And what harm is there in telling me about this woman you say is my mother? Jeremiah sighed and agreed. True, you have a right to know, and I see no harm in telling you. Ben can chastise me later. Jeremiah paused for a moment and took a deep breath and released it before moving on. Princess Hadassah was the only child of our benevolent rulers, King Joseph and Queen Sarai. She was a restless soul and often took the director, without her father's consent, to guide her while she traveled outside the borders of our lands. During one of her journeys, Hadassah fell in love with a young prince in a far-off land who asked for her hand in marriage. When she returned with news of her betrothal, King Joseph was furious. He realized what she had been doing and took the director from her so she would never dare leave again, for without it, she could never find her way past the enchantments that protect our lands. Heartbroken, Hadassah slipped away into the midst of a great feast and was never found again. It was rumored that her love was waiting near the borders of our lands, prepared to ask King Joseph for the princess' hand in marriage. Some believe she ran away with him. No one knows for certain. However, it could explain how her locket ended up this far south. Nicholas wanted to believe the tale, but another part of him scoffed at the idea. The only prince or king he knew was King Frades, and his only wife was Queen Sophie. Though some of Nicholas' earliest memories were of Queen Sophie, he never remembered her coming from some strange land of the north, and the only things she ever gave Nicholas were toys. Her only son had died as an infant, so she and the king doted on Nicholas whenever he visited the palace with his father, who was the king's magi advisor. Yet after every visit, Melchior was quick to remind Nicholas that the favor he was shown was nothing more than the remnants of a parent's grief for a dead son they would never know. Still, Nicholas enjoyed the attention and was heartbroken the day he and Melchior were barred from visiting the palace by the Magi Council, who felt accepting gifts from royalty might compromise the impartiality of the order, even if it was just children's playthings. 
Nicholas never saw the inside of the palace again. <clears throat> I am flattered that you would think me the son of royalty, but my parents were no one important. While I do not know where my mother's locket came from, I assure you it was given to me, not stolen, from some princess. A loud pop from the fireplace startled Nicholas and caused Jeremiah to jump. A pinpoint spot on the wall of the natural stone firebox spewed a mini fountain of purple-blue flame, then went out. The display instantly grabbed Nicholas' attention. A traveling magi from the Far East had once shown him a powder that made such a flame when he was a boy. He wondered if this could be the same substance. Nicholas pulled out a knife from his belt and moved towards Jeremiah. Jeremiah backed away, his face filled with concern. Hi, see, Ben returned your weapons to you, Jeremiah said with a nervous smile as he backed up even further. You see, he does trust you at some level. Nicholas grinned at the worried little man and stepped around him to the fireplace. He peered inside the firebox and spotted some white crystals high above the flames on the stone walls. Taking his knife, he scraped some of the crystals into his hand and sniffed. It smelled like the powder he knew. He dabbed his finger into the crystals and tasted it. This is a cave, Nicholas said, is it not? It is, Jeremiah said, puzzled by Nicholas' actions. Nicholas threw the crystals into the fire. The crystals erupted into a fizzing flame of purple-blue. Jeremiah stumbled backwards and fell onto the floor. What is that? Jeremiah asked. Chinese snow, Nicholas said, or at least part of it. A magi from the east once showed it to me. He scraped more crystals and showed them to Jeremiah. Come, you must try them, he said with a sparkle in his eye. Cautiously, Jeremiah rose and took the crystals from Nicholas' outstretched hand. He approached the flames and cautiously dumped the crystals into the flames. Crackle! Pop! The crystals fizzed and sizzled as they burned a captivating purple-blue. Jeremiah jumped back, still unsettled at the power of the Chinese snow. Breathing a sigh of relief, he smiled at the little marvel. Wondrous, Jeremiah said. If you know how to combine it with charcoal and brimstone, it can be very amusing. Uh, these are the sort of things I grew up with, thanks to my father, Nicholas said. You must miss him, Jeremiah said. We too left loved ones behind. It can be a terrible burden to bear alone. It is, Nicholas replied. Then you should honor his name and seek out your destiny. <laughs> he said sarcastically, and become the bringer. Jeremiah looked shocked when Nicholas mentioned the name. Where did you hear that name? Did you not tell me I was to be the bringer? Nicholas stopped. He realized that he was speaking of the dream. Jeremiah lit up the instant the words passed Nicholas' lips. You had a dream! Jeremiah said, his eyes sparkling with excitement. A dream? Nicholas said, feigning ignorance and trying to cover his slip. Please, tell me your dream. I never said I had a dream. What kind of bringer? How should I know? I... Leave me be, Nicholas stood up and stormed away from the fire. Though Jeremiah sighed with frustration, Nicholas was not about to be manipulated into telling more. He was already angry that he'd spoken about his dreams, even if it was accidental. He did not understand them, and he was not about to share his night visions with a stranger, even if he did call him brother. Nicholas stumbled out the doorway and hit an overhead lamp, knocking it from his perch with a crash as he exited the room. By the gods, Nicholas shouted in frustration. Flame shot up from the floor where the lamp fell, so he promptly stamped out the flames with his foot. As the flames, as he put out the flames, Enos and Amos arrived on the scene, all smiles. 
Not one word, Nicholas said, holding out his index finger as he moved past them, ducking the roots and other lamps hanging in the passageway. There would be no more questions tonight. And that is the end of chapter two of Nicholas the Bringer by Sean Kennelly. So glad you could join us today. I hope you uh, look forward to the next installation, which will be chapter three, obviously. And uh, just remember, be strong, be kind, and share the hope. Till next time, bye.